Now, if you can open your Bibles again at uh, the chapter that we read, which was on page 1183 of the Church Bible, I'm going to read again the verses that we're going to be thinking about this evening. And these are from verse 6 down to verse 15. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross, having disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Amen. Well, Let's, uh, let's think for just a moment uh, before we dive into these verses how this is fitting into Colossians as a whole. Sometimes when, when we're reading one of the letters uh, to, of, of Paul, they're so dense that we tend to do as we're doing tonight. We take a few verses and we think of them. Sometimes it's easy not to see the wood for the trees. Uh, so we need to remember what the big picture is, why Paul is actually writing this letter in the first place. And One of the main reasons is that Paul is addressing a problem that there was in this church. This church, of course, in the town of Colossae, in what is now Turkey. And the problem was that uh, there were people who were making the ordinary church members feel like second-class citizens. Because they were saying that they had a secret ingredient that made it possible to be a a super Christian, if you like, a first-class Christian. And unless you had this secret ingredient, experienced what they had experienced, did what they did or didn't do what they do, then you really didn't quite cut it. Now, sadly, this is a situation that you can get in the church uh, in different forms. And uh, it may be that uh, some people will have certain taboos things that you don't do. In some places it may be that you don't go to a cinema or you don't uh, do something else. Uh, There's nothing in the Bible prohibiting it, but it's become a tradition in the the particular church. Or it may be an experience that you have to engage in. And different cultures have their own idea of what makes somebody a spiritual person. If you are living in Korea today, for example, the Koreans are big on their prayer mountains. 
and getting up really early in the morning. Uh, getting up at four in the morning, go, going up the prayer mountain. And if you're not on the prayer mountain praying, you're not really praying uh, in the way that those who do are praying. And in a whole lot of different ways, uh, people can make these additional aspects of life appear to mark them out as super spiritual. And Paul is warning us against that. Uh, he's reminding uh, Christian people that we have three things which mean that we don't need anything more than Christ. Uh, we have uh, our freedom in Christ, we have fullness in Christ, and we have forgiveness in Christ. Verses 6 and 7 are really key verses uh, for us in what we're looking at tonight. Uh, but they're also key verses in the whole of the epistle to the Colossians. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. You received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him. Now, the word received here is used in the New Testament in almost a technical way. We will sometimes speak today of, I received Jesus Christ as my Savior, or I received Jesus into my heart. We have these uh, expressions. Now, that's not absent here, but what is usually meant is we receive a body of teaching or a tradition of teaching, or a deposit of teaching, sometimes it's put. And there are a few examples in the New Testament. For example, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. In other words, the message concerning Jesus and his resurrection. It's a body of, if you like, facts about Jesus that we receive. And these facts, Paul says, are... That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve. That is what Paul had received. And it was a message which transformed his life. He received this message and he passed it on to others. Now if you're a Christian tonight then you have received the message of Jesus. You have heard the good news. You heard about your sin. And your need of a saviour. You were warned against hell. And the judgment of God. You were told about heaven. And how to get there. You were told that Jesus. Bore sin on the cross. That he rose in power from the dead. You received. Christ Jesus as Lord. That's what Paul is saying here. Paul had grown. Not by going beyond the gospel. Not by some experience. That made him a better person. But he had grown. Because the gospel. Was being applied to every area of his life. And that's the way these Colossian Christians. Were to grow. And that's the way that I have to grow. And it's the way that you have to grow. If you're a Christian tonight. 
We need to be mature and we want to be fruitful in a Christian life. But there's no secret ingredient. There's no silver bullet. There's nothing above and beyond the gospel. Let me put it in a a really simple way. The way in is the way on. Right? The gospel is how you get in. And the gospel is how you go on. The good news, the gospel tells you how you're to be saved and you'll grow as a Christian by applying the principles of the gospel to every aspect of your life. You will become fruitful as a Christian as the gospel takes hold of your whole personality. It will change you into someone who is more like Jesus. The way in is also the way on. Just as you receive Christ as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Okay, so Paul is expanding a little bit more. He's going on to say what it means to go on living as you received Christ. And he's using two different images and one is from the orchard And the other is from the building site. I'm quite interested in in fruit trees. I'm quite interested in orchards. So here's an interesting picture. And he's saying that the tree is fruitful so long as it's rooted in the ground. If you want to have an apple tree that's going to have a lot of fruit, you don't plant it in concrete. You make sure that it has good soil. And if there's compaction you need to break it up and you need to make sure that the roots will go down into the soil because then the tree will be anchored and it will be able to take up the plant food from the soil and it will be fruitful we've been planted in Jesus and we need to go down deeper into the one who saved us the way in is the way on We've been planted, we've been built on a rock. Jesus is the rock on which we build. We went to Christ because Jesus is the only foundation that we can build our life on. He's the only one who will save us. There is no one out there who will save you from your sin. Muhammad won't save you. Buddha won't save you. And the new atheists certainly won't save you. But Jesus saves from sin. And he becomes a foundation on which we build our lives. Now, we don't go on uh, to do something else. Having begun on the rock that is Jesus, we continue to build on that rock. So, fullness, maturity, fruitfulness, they're not a result of going to some other soil or some other rock. They're a result of growing on in the soil in which we were first planted And building on the foundation on which we first laid our hope. Well, we could say to Paul, well that's all very well Paul, but what what more can you tell us? Can you put a little bit of meat on the bone here? Show us exactly what it means in our lives to live our lives in Christ as we received Christ as Lord. What does it mean to continue to live in him As we received Christ Jesus as Lord. Well. He tells us. That. 
We should never be allowed by anyone to be made to feel second-class citizens because we, in Christ, received freedom, we received fullness, and we received forgiveness. And we're going to look at each one of these now in turn. What it is to be a Christian, it is to have freedom, it is to have fullness, it is to have forgiveness. Freedom, first of all, then. Paul uh, gives as a warning. He warns against anyone taking us captive. Don't let anyone come up behind you, he says, and put a bag over your head and take you away prisoner and put you into some dark locker some way. Don't let anyone take you captive. And there is a threat from a number of areas, and he speaks of the tradition that the false teachers have passed on, and he says it's deceptive philosophy that depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than Christ. Now that's a big mouthful. And we don't necessarily need to know all the detail of what Paul is speaking about. In fact, uh, one of the expressions is, is uh, debated. Uh, what are the basic principles of the world? Uh, some, of the, some of the commentators think that uh, these are what was once thought of in the, by the ancients as being the, the elements of earth, wind and fire. Basic elements of the world which were given veneration and which thought, were thought to have a certain amount of, of power over uh, people's destinies. Well, Paul says that we have been freed from being, uh, given, from being obliged to give homage to anything like that. We've been freed by Jesus. Through the cross, Jesus has obtained freedom from all of the spiritual powers that might be against us. We don't need to venerate the elements of the world, whether that be earth, wind and fire or anything else, because Jesus has disarmed these rulers and authorities. Jesus has made the cross his victory chariot and he leads his enemies in a triumphal procession. Verse 15 speaks about making a public spectacle of powers and authorities. Now, the picture here goes back to uh, what happened if a Roman general won a victory in a far-off land. And these days, of course, there was no BBC news to tell that uh, a, a great victory had been won by uh, one of Rome's great military men. So how did uh, he tell the people? Well, he had a victory parade. And he was allowed to march uh, through the, the city uh, with all of the, uh, the captives and the prisoners that had been taken. Uh, they would be in shackles and he would come first as the conquering uh, general and behind him all of the captives uh, imprisoned. And that's the picture that Paul is painting here of what Jesus has done to all the, the hostile spiritual powers and authorities. They have been led in a victory procession by Jesus. He made the cross his victory chariot. He goes ahead of them. And if that is the case, then why would we allow ourselves to lose our freedom and to look to these dark powers, which are defeated powers, if we have freedom in Christ? 
So let's apply this to our thinking in everyday terms. Jesus brings us freedom. If you are a Christian, Jesus has bought you freedom. You are a most free person. You are free, for example, from the criticism of others. Freedom from always wanting to hear others speak well of you. Why is that? Because if you are saved, then the only opinion that matters is the opinion that God has of you. And for all that are in Christ, God has pronounced his, with him I am well pleased. With her I am well pleased on you. Free from the fear of other people's opinions. Free from the rat race of ambition. Uh, there are so many people who are in bondage to, to securing uh, either for their self-esteem or the opinion of others. The top place in, in the workplace or whatever. I don't need anything else to derive my self-worth from. That God's own son gave himself for me and has procured my freedom from the opinions of others and even my own uh, opinion of myself. I am free indeed. Freedom, fullness. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity, this is verse 9, lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ. Don't let anyone judge you. Don't let anyone look down on you. Because you have been given all the fullness of Christ. And in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Why should anyone look down on one who is united to Jesus, who has the fullness of Christ? It's a great verse, this. It's a key verse for underlining the fact that Jesus is God. The Jehovah's Witnesses don't believe this. Muslims don't believe this. But Christians must believe this because our Bible tells us. Jesus is God. A lesser person cannot save. But in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. Now, it's interesting to know that at the time that this was written, that was never under question. What was questioned was the humanity of Jesus Jesus' divinity was so clear that people didn't question it, but they would question sometimes his true humanity. But as time went on, uh, there were those who did arise to question the divinity of Christ. And it is verses such as these, which were a bulwark against people who said that Jesus was merely one of the greatest of created beings. We're going to have a little digression, a little uh, historical interlude, just to remind ourselves of one of the heroes of the faith, who was a man called Athanasius. And Athanasius was born uh, into this struggle to defend the divinity of Jesus. He was born in AD 298. Uh, he became Bishop of Alexandria in Egypt in 328. And he spent a great deal of his time in the church at war. He was at loggerheads 
with many of the other people. And it all arose because a, a deacon of this church in Alexandria, a man called Arius, uh, began to try and persuade the authorities that if the Son of God was truly a son, he must have had a beginning. And therefore, there must have been a time when he didn't exist. Now, Athanasius was only about 20 years old when he began to, to contend for the truth. Uh, he was 40 years younger than Arius. That's quite remarkable, isn't it? It takes something to, to, to tackle someone who is that much older than you. And it's a reminder that sometimes our young people are more faithful to the truth than older people are. Uh, he was, Athanasius was a young man when he took up the cudgels for the truth of the divinity of Jesus. And the historians tell us that what Athanasius did was he moved the argument away from philosophical speculation. What Paul refers to here, to the Bible. And he pointed, tried to point people to the Bible and what the Bible was teaching about Jesus. And verses such as this that affirm his full divinity. And at one point there, there was uh, one of these moments when the outside world is apt to scratch its head and say, what on earth are these Christians arguing over? There was a point when some of the church wanted to say that Jesus is homoousios. In other words, he is like the substance of God. And Athanasius recognized that this was a complete sellout because nothing less than saying that Jesus is of the essence of God, homoousios, would suffice. Why are we quibbling over words, people would say. People get so impatient with that kind of thing. But Athanasius realized that there was all the difference between heaven and hell, life and death, tied down in this difference. An eternity of a difference. You see, a Jesus who is not truly God cannot save you. We need one who is not only human in our place, but who is truly God. I, by dying, cannot save anyone's sins, nor could the best of us. We need the truly divine Son of God. Eventually, in 325, the Nicene Creed was agreed at. But as sometimes happens, there were those who went there and agreed to Athanasius' position and its formula. And they were, as it were, crossing their fingers behind their back. They gave their, ment they gave their, their lip service to it, but they didn't really believe it. And there was a 60-year period of, of warfare, as it were, within the church. Athanasius was exiled for 17 years, kicked out of his bishopric. His people were loyal and faithful to him. But the authorities opposed him, tooth and nail. One point, someone came to Athanasius and said, do you realize, Athanasius, you're on your own here. The world is against you. Athanasius replied, the world is against Athanasius. Then Athanasius is against the world. We're thinking of Daniel this morning, who dared to stand alone for the truth. Athanasius, a Daniel of the fourth century. What a lesson, isn't it? doesn't matter what kind of minority we are in. With God, we are always a majority when we stand with the truth. It reminds us as well that what we have in our creeds, the propositions that we have about Jesus matter. The truth matters. 
It's important to be precise in what we believe. And we thank God for men like Athanasius. John Piper uh, (coughs) in the States said about Athanasius. Athanasius uh, would have said, Our young people in Alexandria die for the truth about propositions about Christ. What do your people die for? And if the answer came back, we die for Christ, not propositions about Christ. I think he would have said, that's what Arius says. So which Christ will you die for? Athanasius would have grieved over sentences like, it's Christ who unites us, it's doctrines that divide. He knew the truth is vital. In Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily power. And if you're a Christian, you are united by faith to this Jesus. Not to an exalted creature, but to God himself. Therefore, what a dignity. Let no one judge you. Paul says, by their false legalistic rules, all the fullness of the deity lives in Christ and you are united to him. The humblest believer has this tremendous dignity and privilege. It's mind-blowing, breathtaking. There is no mediator between him and us that we need to go to. There's no method that he has not provided for us in his word. There's no means which he has not provided for in his word. Jesus is everything that we need to be complete. Freedom Fullness, forgiveness. Let nobody judge you. Let nobody look down their noses at you. If Jesus has forgiven you. If you have forgiveness through Christ, let no one judge you. Verses 11 and 12 are are very interesting verses. Uh, They're speaking about forgiveness here, but they speak about it. Maybe when we read it, maybe you found that a little bit confusing, hard to to grasp. It's using the language of circumcision and baptism. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God. Who raised him from the dead. Just want to say a little bit. It's uh, very hard for any Presbyterian to come across this. And not to, to speak about baptism for a little while. So I want to just point out the fact that baptism and circumcision are intertwined here. And in other parts of the, the scriptures. Both circumcision and baptism are covenant signs. And they, they speak of the same thing, essentially. To be cut off, circumcision is a cutting off of the flesh. And in the Old Testament, those who were cut off from the believing community were under the judgment of God. So the, the signs speak of 
God's judgment upon those who break his covenant laws. Same with baptism. Jesus spoke of his going to the cross as a baptism that he had to undergo. But at the same time, they they speak of blessing and assurance because uh, to have the sign means that you're in. You're a member. It speaks of the promised uh, union through faith in the one who has kept the covenant in Jesus. So Paul speaks of being buried with Christ. Coming under the power of death is to come under covenant judgment. But it speaks of being included in the covenant family by being raised to newness of life through Jesus. So baptism is clearly the continuation of circumcision. That's why uh, as reformed people we will baptize believers. Believers and their children. Because in the Old Testament, circumcision was for believers and their children. And it would be inconceivable for the, the scope of the sign to be narrower in the New Covenant than it was in the Old. It's very much the reverse. that uh, It's not just uh, males that have the sign on them, but it is females. It's not just Jews, it's Gentiles of all races. Free and servant, free and, and, and bond, bond slave. And so uh, we have our, our rationale for baptizing the children of believers from this connection with circumcision. So it's a key passage in establishing baptism as a sign and seal of the covenant. But what Paul is saying here is by way of application, and he's saying that forgiveness which is shown in both circumcision and baptism, is a decisive event. This is a wonderful thing, to be a Christian. When you believe in Jesus, when you acknowledge to God that you have broken his commandments, and you're not worthy to enter his heaven, and you receive His forgiveness. You believe that Jesus on the cross died for your sin. When that happens, when that that heavenly event takes place in someone's life, the bad stuff is completely erased. it's, It's all gone. All our guilt and shame is removed. Now there's a wonderful little picture. We're just about close, but let's just look at verse 14 where Paul says that he cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. Now here, what you have to try and visualize is it would be a long list, wouldn't it? It would be a long piece of paper with all of our sins written on it. Every evil thought, every wicked deed, every wrong attitude, every neglected kindness, record it. As it were an IOU, we were in God's debt. There was a record of our offences and it was all against us. And what happened on the cross was that it was nailed to the cross and Jesus bore it away. And it no longer exists. If you're a Christian. It no longer exists. 
The IOU that was nailed to the cross. That's what happened actually. When someone was crucified, they would nail to the top of the cross why the person was being crucified. Jesus had that. Remember Pilate commanded that above Jesus' head, King of the Jews had to be appended in different languages. It was a custom to have the offense nailed to the cross. And there on the cross, where our blessed Savior died in agony, he took the I-O-U of our sin into the white, hot heat of the wrath of God. And it was burnt up. Gone. Never to be brought again to the fore. He forgave all our sins. Now says Paul, if that is true of you, let no one judge you. Let no one look down upon you. You who have freedom in Christ, you who have fullness because you are joined by faith to the one who is God, you who have all, all the IOUs of your past life, nailed to the cross, obliterated. You who are a child of God, you need to preach that gospel to yourself and let no one rob you of that family privilege. And as you go on as a, Christ, as a Christian, you will grow and you will be fruitful as you preach the gospel to yourself and apply the principles of the gospel to every area of your life. Because the way in is the way on. May God bless to us the preaching of his most holy word. Amen. Well, this word calls for a hymn about the sufficiency of, of Jesus. Let's sing in Christ alone now. In Christ alone, my hope is found. He is my light, my strength, my song. This cornerstone, this solid ground, firm through the fiercest drought and storm. Uh, we'll stand after we've heard the...